Welcome to Thrive, your agency resource, the only podcast for creative, media, and technology leaders who are ready to dive deeper into conscious leadership and agency growth. I'm your host, Kelly Campbell. Thrive is brought to you by Accessibility, the leading web accessibility solutions provider. Join thousands of agencies that are already incorporating web inclusivity into their service offerings. Visit accessibility.com today. So welcome back to Thrive, friends. On our last episode, I spoke with Flory Wilson about equity in reproductive health for all employees. And today, in honor of National LGBTQ Day on October 11th, which was actually last week, I'm excited to have Nate Shalev with me. Nate is a top voice on LinkedIn. I've been following their content for a long time now. They're also the founder of Rebel Impact, a workplace inclusivity consultancy helping businesses and teams to thrive. We're going to delve into understanding your employees' identities today. Nate, thank you so much for joining me on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. So it's a really important conversation. And what I think part of your brilliance and and why you've become, you know, a really impactful voice on LinkedIn is because you are very courageous in sharing your own experiences. So I'm wondering if we can start out there, maybe share a little bit about your personal story in the workplace and then why you felt kind of called to start your own consultancy because of that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for the kind words. That's very nice. I'm I'm, uh, to hear that the work has resonated. I I will say that I never wanted to be courageous. I'm not a courageous person. I am not somebody who's going to be, you know, skydiving out of airplanes and and, like running into fires. That's not like, it's really not who I am. I'm the like quiet read a book on the couch kind of person. So a lot of the work that I've done has been out of necessity and out of the desire to create spaces for myself, spaces that I I knew that I needed to, to thrive in. So I worked in the social impact space for over a decade. And when I was in those spaces, I worked on teams where the communication was unclear. But uh, as an employee, I was being blamed for things that weren't necessarily my fault. Or I was dealing with managers who had all of these feelings of transphobia and homophobia that they haven't worked through that was became very apparent in our in our one-to-ones and, and things like that. So uh, as I was at these organizations, I realized that they're what they were saying wasn't matching up to the work that they were doing and, and yeah, they weren't really living out their, their values and the missions that, that they set out on. So I saw this gap and that's, that's why I started to create Rebel Impact to be able to address some, some of these things that I was seeing within, within the workplace. Uh, and a lot of it has been on my own trial and error, right? So being able to see what works for me and then putting it into practice. So a lot of these, as you mentioned, you opened with courageous conversations, a lot of these conversations have happened organically over time. It's been saying, this isn't working for me. And here's what I think we can do to fix it. And it's really being able to carve out those spaces when I'm either in these organizations and now and now it's as well. Mm. Now let's talk about identity and kind of dive into this a little bit deeper. Why is identity and understanding one's identity important overall, not just necessarily in work environments? Yeah. So we all have an identity. Right. So whether that's we are brothers or we are parents or caretakers or we really love to paint and we're creative or we never thought of ourselves as runners and now we run all the time. So some identities we, we come to later, later on, 
where we find something that we really like to do and that becomes part of our identity. Some identities we're born with. So I am Jewish. I'm white. Uh, I'm, I'm trans, right? Some of these things I, I am born with. They're not changing throughout the course of my life. I would say trans is, is not part of that. So, so we'll take that out. But some of these identities you learn later on in life, right? So I started to use they, them pronouns because it, it started to fit. I realized that I wanted to express my, my gender in a different way. And I started to do that and that felt right. And then I wanted to find the pronouns that aligned with, and I think we're going to talk about that later, but pronouns that aligned with, with who I am. And so now I identify as trans and I use them pronouns and identify as non-binary. And some of these identities are in flux and they, and they come to us later in life. Uh, I was recently diagnosed as autism, uh, as autistic in the last few years. And disability is one of those identities that anyone can have at any time. You get into a car accident and you then might be identifying as disabled. So our identities are things that we're born with or things that we come to later in life. And they're a part of us. They're a part of how we see the world, how we understand ourselves. And they're also part of what has been the basis of discrimination over the course of, of decades. So often our identities have been used as a way to define and create our societies in ways that um, we are not all equal in the kinds of resources that we're able to get. Yeah. And I think that's a really great baseline to talk about, you know, ones that we're born with, ones that we come to later in life. And I kind of want to put a little pin in the ones that are visible and the ones that are not visible, because I think that's where a lot of the sticking points are. Not all of the sticking points, but a lot of them, right? So can we talk a little bit about visibility for a second? Yeah. So when we're thinking about visibility, right, we're thinking about how the world perceives us. So even if we don't necessarily want an identity, let's say, the world is looking at us and categorizing us and saying, you are part of this group. And then therefore, because you're part of this group, like race and ethnicities is, is one, of, right, one of the more visible aspects of our identity, uh, you're going to be in, in this part. And then because you're here, I'm going to have my perceptions of you based on my understanding of you. And obviously, there's like very deep historic roots around what that has looked like in terms of you know, access to resources and, and all of that. So when we're thinking about visibility, we're often, we're often thinking about the things that we can see. Um, and when we're thinking about disabilities, they can be visible or invisible. But when we're talking about the full scope of our identities, uh, it's really kind of the full scope of who we are. Yeah. I think the, the takeaway for me is that, you know, when someone tells you and, and kind of expresses what their own identity is, believe them. Yeah, I think that's a really big one because it kind of flies in the face of someone's potential perception. And yeah, there's just, there's a lot to that, especially when it comes to those kind of in, invisible um, identities, right? Yeah. And we have all these perceptions about what it looks like around LGBTQ identities. We have all these thoughts based on media, based on who we've met in our own lives. And, and somebody tells you I'm a lesbian and they say, I've, not, I've never met a lesbian who looks like you. And right. then they're going to say, you know, whatever comes next is then when, when somebody says, I've never met somebody who looks like you, or when I meet somebody and they say, I'm looking for Nate. And I say, and then I say, I am Nate. And they say, oh, I didn't expect Nate to look like this or sound like this. In those small moments is really where we see belonging happen, is where we see like this kind of inclusion work happen. Because immediately when you say, I've never met a Nate who looks like you, I'm going to say, okay, well, then I don't belong here. You don't know me. You're not seeing me for who I am. You're not perceiving me for what I want to be seen as. I'm already feeling othered and it's been, we've been, you know, 30 seconds into a conversation. Right. Right. So let's talk about that othering for a second from the standpoint of pronouns. Um, I know this has been probably more, 
I won't say more relevant, but more in the conversation over the last few years, for sure, more, more so in the last few years than it has ever been before. And so when it comes to pronouns, why is that such an important topic? But in particular, uh, curious to know a little bit more about maybe your previous experience um, in the workplace as well. I just, I think there's a lot of ambiguity around pronouns, especially for those who don't have gender non-conforming, non-binary, trans people in there, or that they don't think that are in their places of employment. And so I just want to kind of really dive into that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So in, in English, and it works differently in other languages, but pronouns are how we refer to people or, or things. So they're how we're, we're referring to something. And when we're referring to people, our pronouns are gendered. And so when we use pronouns, uh, like at, at its simplest, because we're referring to people and it's gendered, we have the opportunity to either affirm somebody and, and, and respect them in the way that they want to be referred to or, or not. And that's really it. So the reason why pronouns are, are such an important part of these conversations about identity is exactly that, because they are, some, they are part of somebody's identity because they're referring often to somebody in a gendered way. And so like at, at the baseline, that's like in life, that's why that's why they're important because it's how we're referring to someone. Right. Did you know that one out of five people in the U.S. is living with some form of disability? I'm proud to partner with Accessity as they work toward the mission of making the web accessible to everyone. It's time to prioritize inclusivity. Ensure that your own website and your client sites can be accessed by all and that they're ADA compliant. Head over to accessibly.com forward slash thrive to learn more about their agency partner program. Now, back to the show. What about the people who claim to have difficulty with using sure. pronouns, especially yeah. pronouns that are not she, her, or he, him? Yeah. So I, I'm, I, there's, there's two ways that I like to talk about this. The first is saying, if somebody whose name is William and they say, call me Bill, and you proceed to call them Willie or William because that's what you think they look like, they actually look like a will to you and not a bill, you're not referring to somebody in the way that they, were, they want to be referred to. They have told you, this is my name. This is how I want you to speak to me. And now you are choosing to not do that. So that's one approach. And then the second approach is that we use gender neutral pronouns often. So if I'm telling you a story and I say, I was at the bank today and the manager was really nice to me. I got a lot out of my experience. You would say, oh, how was she? She, she, she sounds like a really great manager. And you'd say, oh, actually, no, the, the manager was he. His name was John, right? And then that would be it. So we use pronouns often in, in those ways. If you didn't know the name, you would, you would say, um, I was speaking to them, right? I was talking to the manager and they were really great. If I didn't want to make an assumption about who you were speaking to, that conversation can go either way. So we're using gender neutral pronouns. We're using pronouns all the time, even when we're not thinking about it. So now when I'm asking you to, to think about it, that's sometimes when folks are getting caught up, but it's part of our normal speech. We say it all the time. If I didn't know something, I might just say, who, who were you speaking to? They seemed really great, right? It, it, it's, it's part of our natural speech. I had a linguist, a linguist comment on one of my posts in, in a really long way about the history of they, them, and how it's actually using your singular pronoun and all of that. So that information is out there if folks are interested in it. But in the regular course of conversation, we already do this. And so it, it is actually a natural part of it when we're referring to one person as, as they, them. Right. So the claim that it's difficult is sort of some kind of excuse or maybe even just like a moot point. 
Yeah, well, it's difficult because you have an assumption of, let's say me, I use they them pronouns, you have an you know, assumption of me based on my voice, the way that I look, all of these kinds of different things that you look at me and you might say I am in one category of person. And so when people are saying it's difficult, they're saying it's difficult for me to combat my assumptions about you and what I think that you should be. And it is, it, and sometimes it can be an extra step, but we're in relationship with one another and we're talking to one another and we want to respect one another and we want to actually build. So if you're looking to build relationships with people, you want to refer to them the, the way that they, both the way that they want to be, but also in a way that like affirms who they are, not, 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 not the opposite. So even if it is a struggle for some, I would say practice. If somebody has changed their pronouns, practice at home when they're not in the room, practice in your head, practice out loud have a sticky note next to them. I've had people uh, add my pronouns to my name in their phone, right? Like what else? So I just use there, right? And I wasn't speaking to a specific person. So there are many ways that you can practice, even if it's hard, I would say it's, it's important. There are a lot of things that sometimes feel like an effort for us. And it's an effort for a reason. It's because we are all uniquely complicated human beings. And we have, we have, we're all constantly trying to figure out the best ways to communicate with one another. Yeah, really well said. And I like all the steps that you just mentioned. I like adding them in the phone. That's great. In particular, for advertising and marketing agency leaders, why do you think it's imperative that they understand identities and pronouns from a cultural perspective? Yeah, so we, so I, I, we can use, because we, we're talking about LGBTQ identity. So LGBTQ folks are everywhere meaning where we exist across demographics, we exist across geographies. There are statistics that like one in five Gen Zers are identifying as LGBTQ. So what that means is if you're trying to reach a Gen Z audience and you don't understand LGBTQ identities and you put out an ad or you put out a copy that is not LGBTQ inclusive, Gen Z isn't going to be listening to you because either they're queer or so many of their friends are queer or just the world that they live in is so inclusive and your brand or your messaging is not. So they're not going to want to bother with you. And you can say that really across, really across identities and across demographics, because of LGBTQ communities are not, yes, we, we are maybe a minority, but there are millions of us and that's not accounting for the people who love us and the people who want to support us. So it's a, it's a really huge portion of the demographic. And that's only like thinking about LGBTQ identities, but you can really broaden that out to think about other identities as well. And that's what, what people about- care about. Right, right. And what about the importance of having someone at the table while you're putting together that marketing campaign? <laughs> yes. I know that's uh, so as, obvious, but no, 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 but it's not. So, like, as somebody who has been at the table very recently talking about marketing campaigns, who are trying to focus on LGBTQ communities, it could be something as simple as the kind of terminology you're using. So, um, somebody wanted to, like, using the plus, what kind of terms you should use, right? And I know for me and for others in my community, like no one really wants to be a plus. We don't want to be an add-on. We want to be we want to be thought of in the beginning. I want this to be to be done with me in mind if it's for me. So thinking about terminology, thinking about the ways that LGBTQ communities communicate with one another, what we're using to like flag to each other who we are, what we're valuing. If if you're branding or or marketing is trying to reach the community, but you're not actually talking about the community in the way that we talk about ourselves, I'm. I'm going to notice that and I'm, I'm, it's going to like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to roll my eyes and walk away and go find a brand that is actually going to be speaking about me with me in mind and with me at the table. And we can, we can tell that from the the words that you're using and, and the visuals that you're using. Yeah, for sure. In one of our previous conversations, you said something that I felt like could be just a, a really great takeaway 
right? For those who are listening or watching, you said, you know, people should really make the assumption that there's a trans person or a disabled person in the room all the time. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So it's something like 50% of trans people live as self, which means they're living as, as the gender they are. And everyone is, most people are perceiving them as that gender. So meaning if you met them, you would not know that they were trans most likely. So that's, that's a lot, a huge portion of the trans community. And then with, with disability, it's, it's something like one in four in the U S one in four like of the eligible workforce is, is identifying as disabled. So that's 25%. So when you're thinking about a room, and we mentioned vis- invisible and visible disabilities before, so this can be, we're thinking about disability, it can be like neurodivergence, it could be, it, there's so many things in terms of disability about, about what we're seeing and what we're not seeing. Even if you see somebody in, in a wheelchair and now, they might not need to use that wheelchair all the time, so you won't actually you know, necessarily know. So both with trans folks and disabled folks, and, and there's also a huge overlapping, LGBTQ folks identify as disabled more so than the general population as well, but you might not know, you should assume that they're in the room because, because they really probably are. Like from a statistic sense, they are most likely in, in your room. But then I would say it's just a good practice because once you're trying to reach the most marginalized in your communities, uh, you're going to be creating a better environment for everyone as well. So inclusion work always helps us all. We talk about the, the it's, it's the the curb appeal effects, right? That you create a curb, uh, you create that that indent on a curb to help a wheelchair, and then it also helps you know parents with strollers as well. So when you're thinking about it, and you're going to assume that somebody's in the room with you, and you're creating an environment in which they in which you're actively trying to make sure their needs are met, you're also going to end up helping everyone else. Yeah, and what you're talking about really there is just bringing awareness, bringing consciousness to the things that you say, the rooms that you convene, the way that you kind of navigate conversation, right? All of these different things. So just, just really important to, to keep all of those things in mind and not look at it as an extra step that's a chore or something that is difficult, but just an adaptation to inclusivity, which is really the right thing to do in life and in business. Right. That's exactly it. And when we talk about inclusive work environments, right, we know that they increase revenue, that you're going to have more innovative teams, you're going to, you're going to attack, attract top talent and keep that talent. And there's all these other things, which is, which is important from the business sense, but also at its core, uh, you're creating environments for people to be their to be their best selves. And you're creating environments that people can really feel like they have a place at your workplace or in your communities. And once that happens, people are going to also going to be able to do their best work. So it's, it's, Helping in, in, in the sense of creating, I would say for me, creating the worlds that I want to live in, but it's also going to be creating the, the businesses that folks want to have because everyone wants to have a successful business as well. Absolutely. Well, we will absolutely put a, um, a link to your website at revelimpact.com in the show notes. And Nate, thank you so much again for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. These conversations are really important. So I hope, I hope everyone continues to have them. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe wherever you watch or listen. And a final note of gratitude to the official sponsor of Thrive, Accessibility, the leading web accessibility solutions provider. Learn more about the win-win proposition and keep your clients' websites inclusive and compliant. Be sure to check out their partner program for your agency today at accessibility.com forward slash thrive.